Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Welcome to Capital Church on this wonderful Sunday morning. Can you believe it? First Sunday in November? I mean, we got Thanksgiving coming up, but I mean, Christmas, I think we're under like 50 days or close. So do we decorate now? I like it. All right. Yeah, already time. I love it. Let's go. Okay, some of you guys need to step it up. Well, I love it. Sal read the uh, Genesis account and a Matthew account. And uh, both stories that he touched on, uh, they deal with entrusted property. Uh, there's an owner. We see there's a literal story and there's a figurative story. There's Genesis, we see this big story of ownership and this entrusting of part of creation to uh, first man, Adam and Eve, and then in the gospel, or in the gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus tells this parable of uh, a rich, pretty, probably um, powerful landowner who leaves for a while, quite some time, and he entrusts property and some talents and some money to servants that he expects do something with it. I want to ask you the question, have you ever entrusted something of yours to someone else and it didn't turn out so hot? Yeah, it's kind of frustrating, right? Well, I remember when uh, I was a young kid, um, I probably just barely 17, um, I house sat for a family at age 17, maybe 18. Someone say bad decision. Not on my part. That family, earned, they learned some really good lessons <laughs> that weekend. Two in particular. Number one, have you ever checked my room as a 17-year-old kid? And if you haven't, then why would you ask me to watch your entire estate? So that's on you. And then number two, the very important lesson that they learned is to shut your water valve off towards your washing machine if you're going to go out of town for a long stay. Because you never know when it will spring a leak and fill the entire crawl space with water. I was 17, 18, come on. But they entrusted me to watch over their house. I was watching over other things that were pretty important too at that age. Um, and it just so happened that their crawl space, when we opened the door, it was just like stepping into a pond. That's a bad story about someone giving both a key and entrusting them with something that's not theirs. I think it's kind of a microcosm of our world, if, if you think about it. I think there's things that have been entrusted to us, and don't judge me, folks. I see you out there. You've messed up, too. We've had stuff entrusted into our care, but instead of doing what we should do, we let the crawl space fill up with, with water, which has created more damage and more damage if it's not dealt with. So today... My, uh, my talk in the next few moments, uh, my, my goal is I want to do several things. Number one, I want to help 
create a clear understanding of our role in relationship to God, to the world, and others as we reexamine our personal relationships, our very own lives, and our obligations through the lens of being a steward. And to see how God graciously invites us into this collaboration to where we get to have not only relationship with him, but he gives us responsibility. Which to me is like, I'm sorry, giving an 18-year-old kid keys to your house to watch for the weekend. But God somehow chooses to do that. Pretty amazing. So regardless of what your story is today, where you're at today, just know this, that you're not so far broken, so off, so irresponsible that God can't do something with your life. You have to know that in, in a world that says otherwise, in a world that says exactly that, that uh, you can go this far, no more, you're bent, you're shaped, you're fixed this certain way, sorry, that's just how it is. It's, it's, it's a fallacy, it's, it's, it's a lie. Um, you have to know that God is the original uh, creator, establisher, writer, author of your story, of your script, and of your life, and we have a decision to make. We either trust him on what he says, or we choose otherwise, and it leads us into and on a different, on a different journey. Um, so as we get started, I do, I want to address just a, a little lie that has just permeated culture, and it's sad to say, it, it also, let's we got to be humble in this. It also sometimes permeates our life and our, our, our world, our thought experience. And that's this. The lie is uh, that you are completely sovereign over your own life. And you can do what with your life what you will, what you wish, according to your desire, your passions, uh, according to every whim that comes your way. Your life is your own. That, unfortunately is not true. It's, it's a big lie. And how we know it's a big lie is when you look at scripture, scripture says the exact opposite of that. The problem is there's those who blatantly claim, no, this is, the, this is the reality. My life is my life and I can do with it whatever I want. And who are you to say otherwise? I'm not the one saying otherwise. I'm just going to examine some scripture today. Scripture says otherwise. Some of us aren't so blatant about it, but that subconscious idea, that fallacy kind of worked its way even into our own thinking. We might not realize it. It might be difficult to target it at any given moment, but you can see how that, that lie of your life is your life, do it as you will, uh, can work its way into marriages. It can work its way into the family setting. It can work its way into how you manage finances. It can work its way in how you care for people or don't care for people. It can work its way into how you use your time. Uh, it can work its way into all these subcategories of life without us really knowing it. And so today, it's just a re-examine, get a, uh, a fresh light on what scripture says about this idea that your life is not your own. And we see that uh, even in saying that, it's, it is offensive because people don't want to be told that their life is not theirs. But I also have to say that we're probably in the most hyper-offended age that humanity has ever experienced to date, it might get better. I'm not sure when it comes to the sensitivity level. And my default is like, I don't care. Right? But I have to care. Why? Because my identity that I've found, it's a new identity. It's found in King Jesus. He cares. So because he cares, I don't have, I can't be indifferent to what the world thinks and does. I just can't somehow seclude myself and just let them attack each other. No, I, 
I have to live a certain way that reflects the mission that God has placed for my life. If our life is followers of Jesus in the church. If you remember last week, our identity, it's not something that we earn, but it's something that we work from is the fact that Jesus says this, you are called to be salt and light. So there's a seasoning of your life that God uses to influence others. And there's illumination of your life that God uses to uh, influence others pointing to Jesus. It says that the church is a city set on a hill, meaning it makes no sense for it to be hidden. Your life makes no sense to be an undercover believer. Uh, your life is called to, to engage with culture, to engage with neighbors, engage with family members that you just don't fully agree with. The, the disagreement isn't an excuse for us to withdraw from our love and our compassion, our care and our mercy and our service towards others. In a world, as Chris said, that is that traffics in fear and anxiety, he, he asked the question, what do we do about it? And he says, this is what we do about it. And he pointed to scripture. We have to first understand that Jesus has all authority. Now and forever. Number two, that we are, our identity is salt and light people of God, representing the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven right now, every moment of our life. And then number three, that God is present. This is how we deal with this world in this, this, this lie and this evil that traffics in trying to stir fear and anxiety and discouragement in us. We have to understand that God is not the one, right, who is stuck and somehow locked us out from heaven and he's in the attic. He's like the old man in the attic. And every once in a while, we're who are locked in the basement, sometimes hear this faint whisper or cry from God. And we take that and we run with it as much as we can. But then it's just not, that's not the picture of this relationship at all. You see throughout from Genesis all the way through to the very end of the script in Revelation that God is the God who is very present. He's always close. He's right there. There's not a story that's too big, too gnarly, too ravenous for him to take care of. He has everything ordered perfectly in a way uh, that we can be victorious even through, you ready? Through pain and through suffering. What do we know? We know this. Number one, I'm a teacher, so I'm gonna give you some notes. Number one, God claims ownership of everything, not just some things. Everything God claims ownership for. Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalms 89, 11 says, the heavens are yours, the earth is yours, and the world, all that's in it, you have founded them. Psalms 95, four through five. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are also his. Psalms 100 verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and we are his and we are his people and the sheep of his, his pasture. Look at what the psalmist is doing here. It's, it's, it's making this claim that your life doesn't belong to you, but it belongs to, to God. I'm telling you, there's, there's freedom in this message. I already preached it once, so I know there's freedom in this message. The idea that you don't control every move of your life is freeing. The, the, the idea and the belief that you don't start your life, sustain your life, and finish your life. The fact that that's not on you and me is very, very freeing. It says Psalms 103, praise the Lord, all his works and every one of his dominions. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Job, at the end of Job, we see that God has this conversation with Job and he asked the question, who has first given to me 
that I should repay him? If God were to ask you that question, that's, you just stand there and you just like, noted, right? Who has first given me that I should repay? What's he saying? He goes, before anything I was, before everything I am. No one started it for me. The beginning, it starts with me, says, says the Lord. Whatever is under the whole heaven is, is mine. All of heaven, all of creation belongs to him. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and check this out, for him. He creates it all, every, every part of it, and it's for his glory and for his worship. And he chooses to use people like us to be a part of that big old awesome story. Not only does God claim ownership of everything, but we also read in scripture that time proves that we own nothing permanently or forever. If you've ever taken a long drive through some backcountry highways and count the trucks and tractors that are just laid to bed, their time is done, they're in the fields. The tires are gone, they're rusted out. But if you think about their story, they, they used to work really well. They used to be drivable, they're on the highways. Now what you find, because time proves this, they just waste away and rust takes over and they finish their days out in a farmer's field or, you know, you've seen it. Like how, how'd they get there? Well, one day they just parked and they didn't start again and they just stayed there. And then time went by and this is the scene that we have on the old country roads. We see this, that Job gives expression to this. He says, naked I've come from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you know anything about the story in the life of Job, these are powerful statements. That what he had, all of it's gone. And at the end of that moment, going through that struggle, instead of cursing God, he's able to say, it's come from him. He, he blesses, he removes. He starts, he finishes. First Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world and we can't take anything out of this world. Matthew 6, 19 through 20, Michael read this. Do not let for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and is still. But let for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not break in and still. Um, today I'm talking about stewardship and just relax, okay? I'm not, we're not taking a, another offering. And that's, I see it, I see it. You guys all clam up. Like, all oh, right, this is a long passage on stewardship. This, uh, I see it. Just relax. It has, a, it has something to do with finances, but it's just not that. So my challenge today is let's, let's get a bigger story when it comes to stewardship than just on what you're doing with your tithe and offering. And don't panic when verses like that are read. Like, so relax. Trust me, this has way more to do than what you're giving and what you're investing and what you're, I mean, it has way more to do with that. Some of us at the end of it might wish it just had only something to do with finances, but it's way more than that because this is all about stewardship 
And stewardship goes beyond the monetary. It goes on beyond what you can just put an envelope and give. Man, it has everything to do with your heart condition, with your thinking, with your relationship world, with your, your confession. It, it has a lot to do with the whole person. Uh, and this is what God goes after. So we see this, that time proves that we don't own anything forever. Uh, we see also that scripture reveals that we don't even own ourselves to, to make the point. Romans 12, verse one. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 14, seven. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we, we die, then so uh, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we live as for the Lord. First Corinthians six, or do you not know that your body is the temple of, your Holy, of the Holy Spirit? I mean, scripture leaves nothing out when covering what he owns, what's his. So from the airways to the stars, to the water, to your life, to my life, it all belongs to, to him. Galatians chapter two, I've been crucified, Paul says with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So from Genesis, just the portion that Sal read, to Matthew, to the Psalms that I just previously read, to part of the New Testament that um, came from Galatians and Colossians, what we see is that these passages of Scripture, they, they affirm something. They affirm that God is sovereign over everything, over all creation, but within his sovereignty, he's allowed us to partnership in something called stewardship over creation. And in a lot, what it, the, 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 the idea today is we got to line up our world, our life with being stewards of what God has given to us. It brings a sense when you think about it of, of liberation. It's when I was reading through Matthew chapter 25 the other day, I'm like, oh, this is both challenging, but also very comforting because I realized that it helps me recognize that um, the development, the orchestration, my health, the maintenance of my life, what I'm responsible for doesn't solely rest on me. And for that, I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. Scripture says it's not by might, but it's or power is by the Spirit, says the Lord. So I don't know anything based on my own strength and ability. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. And in doing that, what happens? Water fills up the crawl space. When we try, when we put it just on us, what happens? It never ends the way we, we thought it would end. It's, it's so weird. The kingdom of God is so backwards to our just limited human perspective. Right, some say it's just it's the upside down kingdom. It's what to, to live. It's you got to give your life away. Like to 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 fulfill the purpose and plans for your individual life, you you have to let someone else lead it. It's not about you going out there and grabbing it for yourself and making things happen, and you counting the ways on how you made yourself successful and how you built your work. No, 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 no. Because behind all that, once again, we, we get caught up in that fallacy that our life is, is our own. It's not. I love what uh, my professor, Dr. Walker, says. He says, uh, when it dawns on us that God is claiming us and how temporary our possessions are, the path of life looks very different to us. 
as travelers, we begin to see that through, uh, though we can possess and use and take care of things for a while, we can't take care of them forever. We are at best only managers of this life. We are renters in a world that just wants to be owners. Now I love, I love owning a home, but I still have a mortgage on it. It's a good decision, right? I think it's a, it's, it's a smart move. But let's be honest, at the end of the day, when we expire, the majority of the world is probably gonna still have mortgages that they just leave behind to bless their family members. <laughs> In this, but I want you to think for a minute, the difference between an owner and a renter. When I rented a house and the, the roof started to leak, that's all about, my, the only energy I wasted was finding the number to call the owner. And I said, hey, your roof is leaking. I signed an agreement to be a renter. They entrusted the property with me, but that doesn't mean I, I own it. It means when something happens, guess what? It doesn't come out of my bank account. Whoever owns it, they, they take care of it. This is, come on, this, I wish someone told this to me when I was 16 because I wouldn't have tried so hard to try and make my world my world and do things by myself. I wouldn't have put all that weight and pressure on me as a young guy. I would have relaxed a whole lot more and says, oh, I know I don't know what direction I'm supposed to go, but I also know that I didn't start my life. And I know that I'm just, I'm here to be a, a, a manager, right? A custodian of creation. And I just, God, you're the owner of my life. That, I, I really wish it's that, that was, God, you're the owner of my life. I need you to show me what I'm supposed to do. As opposed, we live in a world that's trying to own everything as their, their own power. And they, they want the last say and the final say. Uh, and they plan the ways, but they give, no, they give no room or time. It's the Lord who directs the steps. So they stop there. The, the man plans his way, and that's, that's their end of their verse. But that's not the end of the verse. It says man plans his way, but it's the Lord who directs the steps. Why? Because he's the, he's the owner. Uh, Matthew 25, let's just look at a few. I'm gonna give you just a few little notes that I wrote down for myself in my Bible. What we see in Matthew chapter 25 is this picture of ownership and a picture of stewardship. This owner of this property, he leaves for a long time. We know that because that's part of the parable. It says he's gone for a while, a long time. And he leaves talents to three individuals. One he gives five talents to, another two talents, another is one talent. And those who had the, the individual who had the five talents doubled his talents. So he had five, he stewarded well, he invested, he made five more, so 100% return profit. We see that the gentleman or whoever it was that had the two talents, same story. They had two, they doubled it, 100% return. The person who's had just one talent, just, you had one job, that's it. Just don't let water into the crossbow. That's your one job. One job. What do they do? They don't, invest that one, they don't steward that one, they find a shovel, they dig a hole, and they take what the master had entrusted them and they bury it. 
And what we see upon the master returning in Matthew 25 is, is kind of scary because it's, it's a picture of an audit because the master comes back to see what happened with the accounts. He's putting the accounts in order. And as he sits down to put the accounts in order, the one that had five shows that he took what was given, allotted to him and he doubled it. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I will set you over much. He goes on to say, enter into the joy of your master. The one who had two came up. Audit took place, books are out. And there we go. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I love it. They were given unequal proportions. One was given five, one was given two. But when the reward came, what's the master say? He goes, you who've been over little, he didn't even name what that amount was. He considered all little, even though a talent in this time was a lot. He goes, you've been faithful little, now I want to put you over much. Why? Because I've tested and weighed the character of your heart and you steward well. So what am I going to do? I'm going to promote you to oversee more. So you think some of us struggle, like we want more and we're like... We feel like we're fighting the good fight of faith because we're not getting whatever that more is in your life. It might be that God's asking us to re-examine how we're stewarding things in our life. It might be that you just have to be honest with yourself and understand that though you think you are a five-talent character, you might just be a two. And the Bible gives no apology for that. What do we do? We see this. We see that God gives his stewards as much as he knows they can handle. He never gives them less than they need. I thought God wasn't giving me more than I can handle. He, he hasn't. Oh yeah, have you heard my story? No, I, tell me. Yes, and they tell the story. Like, see, he's not supposed to give us more than we're supposed to handle. I go, well, the very fact that you are having a conversation with me shows that you are able to handle this. You're alive, you're breathing, you're forming words, right? And you're like, well, we, 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 if we're not careful, instead of like lining up our lives with what God has given for us, what we do is we line our lives up in comparison with God has given to others. And I'm telling you, it's more than finances. We compare relationships. We can compare opportunities. We compare environments, cultures. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And what God is saying is like, no, 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 no. You be faithful. This is what he's speaking through Matthew 20. You be faithful to the allotment that God has entrusted you, knowing he knows you inside and out better than anyone else. He knows the stories. He knows what's going to come of this. He knows uh, the possibilities of it all, but he puts it on you to trust and be a good steward of what he's done. Notice he didn't give any, he didn't give any instruction on what they're supposed to do with what was given. He just gives them the opportunity to do something with it. Sometimes I think this is what, I, the two had a really good understanding of who the master was. I'll, t I'll, show, I'll prove it why. Because they didn't wait around on, okay, what other things are we supposed to do with this? They just got to work right away based on what they thought was important and what they could take care of. The last one, and he didn't get the, he didn't get the uh, accolades and the, 
the honor that the other two got. He was actually called a wicked and slothful individual and he was removed. In this story, it talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth and people think it's related to hell. I don't think so. I think this has nothing to do with eternal judgment. I think it has everything to do with a, a lesson on faithfulness and stewardship. And what we see is that this individual, he said, I thought you to be, and he, get, he gives his excuses, I thought you were this type of master. I thought you were a hard man. I thought you were one of those who you, so this is where you see his, the character of his heart's being flushed out. I thought you were one of those who you gain profit where you didn't plant. And so he has a completely distorted view of who this master is. And as a result, it affects his enthusiasm and his excitement to be a part of this story. Not only that, um, it also shows because he has probably a really low caliber of character, his poor character influences what he does. So instead of working hard to invest and steward wisely, he digs a hole and buries it. I think the same way if we're not careful, if we have the wrong understanding and view of who, of who God is, it will cause us to live outside of a place and mindset that God has not designed for us. Remember, God's common, he says, his, his revelation to Moses is Yahweh, Yahweh, full of compassion and mercy. A God who is what? Who's full of love, slow to what? Anger and abounding in his said faithfulness, right? This is the picture of, of the master. And if you know that about your master and you know that he's gonna come and he's going to give uh, an audit on your life, it just compels the individual. Like I wanna do what the, everything I can do to make what this has been entrusted to me, this, this, this resource, I wanna steward it in a way uh, that's for his glory and for his honor. That other character, he was so bugged that the, the owner of the fields is going away and he was going to do all the work. He didn't want someone else to profit off his work. So what does he do? It's all, it's all right here. He, he focuses on himself. He buries it, sits there, but he finds out the reward uh, is not for his, his benefit. I want you to ask yourself this question. Did you try your best with what you were given? Think about it. Think about what you're given. I'll let it set for a minute. Right now, the scenario and the circumstances of your life, are you doing your best with what you've been given? Or do you see some room for improvement? Maybe some edits, maybe heart shift, mind shift. When you look at the, the story in Genesis, and I love this, I love this. The story in Genesis, the reason why I share it, because it's, this, it's, it's a similar story. It's the first story, and it has everything to do with stewardship. It has everything to do with, with God entrusting the, the land, the dirt of Eden, to Adam and Eve. He entrusts them with something that is not theirs. He owns it, as we've read through Scripture, but he placed on them a responsibility to do something, to do something with it. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What's interesting, and I'll let Pastor Chris flush this out and don't boo me off the stage here if you disagree with this, but what's interesting is that 
in the beginning, it equals a time period before we arrived, before humanity arrived. This is in the beginning. And then you see God does this work of turning things on. He turns the lights and the firmament on, stars, right? He, he makes distinction between land and sea. He creates vegetation. Uh, he creates the animal kingdom. And then you see towards the sixth day, on the sixth day, what does he do? He puts man in the garden um, as a representation, as a steward of what he's doing, his activity in heaven on earth. I don't know about you, I've, I've often thought about, um, okay, why was it, why is there's no explanation points in the whole narrative with uh, Eve and, and the serpent? I feel like there's just, nothing's excitable there. Like, w- wouldn't there be explanation points with you? Suggesting like, okay, this is crazy, I'm talking to some type of reptile that's standing and talking to me and we're, debating on what God said or what God didn't say. That would be weird, right? I think the idea, and this is the idea that um, Gary Bashir and others, and I love it, it's mind-blowing, uh, suggests in Scripture as he takes through what the word land means, as he works through Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's brilliant. His, his idea, and I, I believe this because I see it in Scripture, is that Adam and Eve... There is already a prequel happening of creation. Adam, God, God created it all, so I don't think I'm saying otherwise. He created all of it, but the timing, I want you to think the timing. God places Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden when there's already some demonic activity taking place. How do we know that? John chapter 8, verse 44, says, uh, talks about, John's talking about the accuser of the brethren, which is the, the Satan, the liar. He was here from the beginning. That there were little gods, right? Little gods, spiritual beings that were anti-kingdom of God that were here. And Adam and Eve are placed in the midst of the garden to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Have you ever asked yourself why the word subdue is there in that verse? It's a, it's a military word. You don't subdue like grapefruit, right? I don't know. This is, or like broccoli, asparagus, right? No, I mean, gardening is violent. If you realize, if, if you're the dirt, if you're the soil, it's a little rough. But I don't think that, I don't think that God is using this language because he says, you know, violent, you know, gardening is going to get just, it's going to get fierce. It's going to want to attack you. It's going to come at you. No, I, I, I think what he's saying is like, there, there is a demonic activity on display. How did it get here? How did it get in? Great question. How did evil get in? Evil got in. How? It got in. What does God do with it? Ah, He puts you, he puts humanity in the garden with him. And he gives you a mission. And I want you to hear this this morning. This is very important. The mission is warfare. Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's these spiritual heirs of darkness that occupy these heavenly spaces that we're not, we can't see. We don't, we don't know them. We blame it sometimes on what we ate. No, sometimes it's, it's a supernatural activity over your life. But I love the fact that uh, God knew this before he created Adam and Eve. And, oh, he decided to put that kid in the house to watch that house as Silly and as distracted as humanity might be. Don't you love that? 
That God, even in the midst of knowing our brokenness and our lack of perfection, he's like, yeah, there, I'm gonna make a people for myself. And, and we see it. Like, you have to ask yourself the question, how, how well did Adam and Eve do at stewarding? They started really good, right? It was a strong start, but how many would say it was really, really, really poor finish? It was just weak. It was just, they messed up big time. But what I want you to see with this is they were given this responsibility. See, when, when Eve is talking to Lucifer, what should Adam been doing? Fulfilling, like filling the earth? Being fruitful? No, at that time, he should be subduing. What does that mean? He had, this, he, he had the role to steward what God gave him. His wife, Eve, there was a responsibility. Them together, they're gonna fight the good fight. And this is even before Paul even knew anything about this, of faith right there in the garden. Trusting that God's the one who's to tell them who they are in their identity. He's the one who says that, uh, they're, that they're this way, that way. He's the one who says what they're gonna do, what their role is, responsibility. The problem with the issue with the conversation with Eve and the serpent was that it was the serpent who interrupts and he begins to tell Eve uh, who she is and what she can be. And so in that moment, Eve decided for herself, for herself what is gonna be good, right, beautiful, true, and real based on her standards and it wasn't God's standards. When all along, from the very beginning, God already created the definition of who they're to be. And the fact that he's gonna create them, and this is the picture of it. That's why I love this garden area. It's the picture of God, Genesis chapter two. He creates Eden so that he can have relationship with Adam and Eve in this uninhabited world at the time. So that they could work together through work and through worship and through being people of shalom to do warfare on the enemy. And warfare on the enemy, how many of you know, Paul's not saying we get up out of bed in the morning and we're like, <sighs> fight in the air. No, I don't think anyone, maybe you do, that's exercise. That's not spiritual warfare. You're not getting up and just swinging at the air. No. We see Genesis tells us how to, how to actually fight the good fight of faith. Genesis tells us what we're supposed to do in activities of warfare. And we're to do this. We're to be fruitful, we're to multiply, we're to subdue, we're to worship as blessable partners with God. We are to trust him and his plan and his strategy. Every time you go to prayer and depend on God, what are you doing? You're doing warfare. Every time you take responsibility in an argument with your spouse, Every time you work for healing and forgiveness, what are you doing? You're doing warfare. Every time you give, even out of a need, what are you doing? You're doing warfare. Every time you worship, even though there's everything in you that says don't worship, your circumstances say otherwise. When you worship, even when you don't feel like it, when you lift up the praise when you don't feel it, what are you doing? You're doing warfare. The enemy wants to do everything he can to stop you from stewarding in the areas that God has allotted to you. Why? Because he knows it's warfare against him. It's more than me just being a father that provides. I can speak from that point. 
It has everything to do, being a father and how I operate as a father, I either have two choices. I'm investing and I'm in stewarding and I'm multiplying or I'm digging a hole and I'm burying my responsibilities. So what I've chosen to do is I've chosen to knock on the doors of my children's room, not just to tell them that they need to go pick up their mess and then do the dishes and just do the four chores we ask you to do. It's not rocket science. I hold off on that and I move into their space and I read the room and their little lives and I just say, how was the day? My asking how was the day, you might not think it, warfare. Especially in a culture where there's so many kids that don't have that availability. Me being able to take responsibility and steward what God has given to me. He said, hey, what are you going through? What's been tricky? What's been difficult? How do you look at this? Oh, that's how you look at it? That's different than how I look at it. But that's okay. Um, can we talk about it more? Oh, not now? Okay. Can we talk about it later? Oh, we can? Okay. Well, come on. I'm just it's telling you. Back in the day, like, I, I was so scared of the idea of, like, warfare, supernatural it's just so far out there. I didn't know, like, how do you operate in that? And we think that it's, it's joining a prayer team, and that is. But I, I want to tell you something. You thought that that passage is about finances. It's not. It's about if you're married, um, how are you handling the gift that God has given you to handle in the relationship of husband and wife? If you're single, how are you handling what God has allotted to you in this season of your life? Are you questioning God? Are you feeling like you're all by yourself, all alone, that somehow you're half of what someone else is? If so, I'm telling you, you're listening to the wrong story and the wrong narrative. God has given you everything you need in this season of your life to be what? To be someone who can fight the good fight of faith, not just for yourself, but for others around you. And to, together as the ecclesia, the called out ones, we are a church that is a city set on a hill. We're salt and we're light. Ask yourself the question, how should I spend my time? Maybe write that down. Just think about that. How should I spend my time? We see that Psalms 90 says, 70 years are given us and some may even live to 80. Oh, this is one of those depressing verses, sorry. <laughs> but even the best of these years are often empty and filled with pain so they disappear and they're gone. So to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's to me, it's like, especially as a young guy, I'm like, oh no. But I look at him like, oh no. It just means that time is very, very valuable. Do you know why gold's valuable? Why? Because it's not everywhere, right? It's a precious metal. Do you know why time is so valuable? And we don't think like this. It's because Right now, in this time space, it doesn't last forever. But we live like it does. So my challenge, the Holy Spirit's challenged me, I want to maximize the time that God's given me on, in this season, in this land, in this Eden, on this earth, um, and use the resources that he's given me, relationships, uh, possessions, um, my thought life, my confession life, my prayer life, my faith life, all those things, uh, knowing, oh, that, that 
wonderful gift of time is ticking uh, and all of us have a beautiful role to play into the story of what God is doing and making brand new things take place in heaven and earth. We see the Lord says, help me to realize how brief my time on earth will be. Help me to know that I'm here, but for a moment, Psalm 39, four. And then we see that Ephesians chapter five says, look carefully then how are you to walk? Not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So how should I spend my time is a great question you should ask yourself more than once. Another one is how can I make a difference? How can I make a difference? Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 through 11. And then lastly, with this point, Colossians chapter three reads, whatever you do, Work heartily as unto the Lord, not for man, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the the Lord Jesus Christ. That's comforting because it it means this, that God's not gonna judge you based on someone else's story. God's gonna look at your life and hold you accountable based on what he gave you. Which means this, there's not one important person here that is more important than the other. When it comes to the eyes and understanding the perspective of heaven. Uh, He loves us to the degree that we can't even fathom all the same. From the one who said yes to Jesus when they're six and now they're 80, to the one who's in this room right now and you're just not quite sure yet. God loves us equally in the same. And his purpose and our plans for our life, they they are fulfilled forever and ever. Lastly, how can I use resources that God has given me? How can I use the resources that God has given me? How should I spend my time? How can I make a difference? And how should I use the resources that God has given me? Just in closing here, are we the same? That watch, is that the same? Weird. Um, My clock only says 12. Um, And it says 12, 25, weird. Give me five minutes, okay? Give me five minutes and then Michael five minutes and then the prayer team 10 minutes. But that'll be after service, but just it's over here. Some of you need prayer for. In a funny way, but also in, in, a, in a serious way too. Like, yeah, and I'll make that point in a minute. Okay, here's eight, nine areas of stewardship that I want you to think about. Matthew 25, Genesis 1, 2, 3. It has way more to do than just finances. They're part of it, and that's why I'll start with number one. Um, I want you to ask these questions. Um, how are you spending your time? How are you making a difference uh, with the stewards of your resource, as a steward of your resource? Resources that have been given to you, how are you using those to make a difference in someone? Uh, I have to admit, sometimes when I'm passing time, I will uh, watch a YouTube character. Love this guy. I found out he's a Christian. And what he does is he'll just go up to people, just random and he says, hey, uh, do you want to take $1,000 for yourself or give $1,000 to a stranger in the store? And most people, they're like, oh, I'll give $1,000 to a stranger in the store. And then I'm thinking, oh, there's hope for the world. And they freely do it. And the reason why they freely do it is because when they showed up to the store, they didn't have $1,000. What are they doing? They're just being a conduit, a steward of 
what someone gave them. It's this little picture. He invited them into a story that he was already on mission to do. And he let them be a part of it. Same thing with us. When we allow that nothing is ours is ours, it belongs to the Lord. You're just more freely in your generosity, both in the church and with neighbors and strangers and people on the side. I mean, just, just all over the place. It, it, it's a marker of, of what we become and who we are because we realize like, oh, if we have need, God's gonna supply. I talked to my wife the other day. I don't remember like June of 2015. I couldn't tell you what my bank account looked like or what was thin or what we were in need of. Isn't it funny how in the moment it's such a big thing, but looking back on the whole uh, background of our life, you realize like, oh, that doesn't stand out. But I can tell you some other things that stood out. I can tell you the, the struggle and challenges that I went through uh, and how people came along and they were just a, a big help to me. I re, I'm telling you right now, I remember we were living at a home, Kish, remember this, Michael and Natalie knocked on the door and they gave us $50. $50? I mean, it, it might as well have been $100,000 at that moment. They had no idea of the story, right? They just knew that they're just being stewards. They heard from God and they're just gonna go bless young Shane and Kirsten, young Shane and young Kirsten. So I opened the door, I'm like, oh my gosh. I also remember another lady, like right over here. She uh, shook my hand and uh, she says, we really love you guys. And I realized that she put something in my hand. I looked at it and it was a hundred dollar bill. It might as well have been a million dollars. What's my point? My point is I don't ever remember this, that, or other based on what my, my budget is. I always remembered the people that God brought into my life at that moment to be a reflection of his generosity and his care. I also remember not what I paid to Idaho Power, but I also remember what Kirsten and I have participated in in helping other people. Those are some of the highlights of, of my life. When we steward what God's given to us, we allow our lives to be a conduit of blessing, not for us, but for others. Number two, stewards of relationship. Stewards of relationship. God's calling you to steward the gift of if you're married, of husband and wife, if you're single, of come on, resting in the anointing, the grace that God has for both. And not questioning, not panicking, working towards forgiveness, working towards restoration, honoring, serving, outserving, loving, showing what Paul shows, what the, 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 the husband and wife relationship looked like in Ephesians. It's a picture of Jesus and his relationship with the bride, the church. It's a laying down of life. It's a laying down of wants. It's a laying down of my way, right way, or the highway. It's, it's laying that all down and it's all about, okay, how can we work together in this moment of conflict and problems? How can we manage our relationship with the love and the affection that Jesus is leading us in? As parents, we have the role to do the same thing. As parents, they, they will leave the house one day and they will not return. And we have this wonderful window, this opportunity to be able to nourish and to nurture and to deal with just the, the grossness of teenagers. They're great, but man, they're a stinky creation, right? And fortunately, mine have been a lot cleaner. Um, but we have, the, we have the responsibility 
to let them ask us hard questions. And then we have the responsibility as parents to not say, I don't know, but to steward it. Which means what? If you're, if you're a parent, you have to know your Bible. I have a, we have a responsibility to let our kids catch us reading scripture and to memorize and not just to say just a quick little response to their question, but in a way, in a gracious way, loving way, bring it to scripture. What does God say? What does God want in this moment? I know it's, I know it's rough. I know it's difficult. Man, it's, like, it's a battle zone. It's, it's, a, it's a mission field on those campuses. Woo! But we're not gonna run from it. No way. Why? Because God is for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? And if you leave, if you leave, if you leave, then who's gonna be there to make a difference? Who's gonna be salt and who's gonna be light? This, I know that all those things are coming against us, but hey, that doesn't have to be our story. God puts you in a war zone, my man. Daughter, God puts you in, in a war zone to be salt and light, to be a person that offers shalom and help and hope and grace to people. Stewards of relation. Number three, stewards are our thinking. Woo. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, stayed on you because they trust in you. Isaiah 26, three. Stewards of confession, what you speak over your life, what you speak over your family, what you speak over your kids, what you speak over your future, what you speak over your nation, what you speak over your leaders, what you speak over your enemies. God's gonna audit your life for that. He's gonna hold you to your confession. And so as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to confess life and truth and hope and do it with grace and mercy and compassion and just overwhelm the confession with love. Number five, stewards of prayer. Founded on the promise of in relationship that God uses us. He's in relationship with us. He's given us the vehicle that we can agree on earth together as, as believers and something's happening in, in the heavenlies that God works through, through our prayer. I used to pray I think probably because I got discouraged somewhere along the way. I used to pray in a way that, uh, A, not to make the other person uncomfortable. I still want to be respectful of that. But B, mainly, I don't want to pray such big prayers that if it doesn't work, their hopes are shattered. And I thought, man, what a faithless, what a faithless prayer position. And so I've changed it, and I've changed it a long time ago. I said, you know what? No, God, I know you can do whatever you want to do. And if the Bible is true that nothing isn't possible for you, I'm okay as being a steward of prayer and praying in this situation that even this situation, nothing is impossible for my God. Stewards of prayer, stewards of confession. Uh, number six, stewards of faith. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Stewards of faith. He didn't ask you to have mount or, or faith the size of a mountain. He says, have the faith, just even if it's like a mustard seed. So you can speak to something as great as a mountain. And once again, collaborate with, with heaven and God does something supernatural. Stewards of your body, your, your body is not your own, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. There's so many other verses with you, but I just want you to think throughout this week. It's just, it is stewards of finance, but it's just, it's so much more. How are you handling what God has given you? Stewards of service, how are you serving other people? Do we serve when it's convenient or even when it's inconvenient? Lastly, 
How are you as a steward of suffering? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, what, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Romans 8, 17, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I think some of the people in my life that I've experienced with them, I've seen that how they live their life through pain and suffering. The testimony wasn't in what happened to them or the pain or the affliction that they endured. The testimony had everything to do with what they did with the pain and the affliction and the suffering. I've had some great examples of people in my life that they were like Job. They're like, no, I'm not gonna curse God and die. I don't understand it. I'm not sure why I'm going through what I'm going through. I know that somehow it got in. I know that somehow it's affected my body, but I know that God is ultimately the, 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 the sustainer and he's the creator and he's the healer of all things. And so in this moment of pain and suffering, I'm gonna continue as a good steward of suffering to put my trust in God, knowing that even through the difficulties of my story, God is gonna get glory and praise at the end of my life. He's gonna come to me, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful and little. Now I'm gonna put you over much. Enter into the joy of your father. Enter into the joy of your mouth. Some of you gotta hear this today. Continue to, continue to trust God. Continue to persevere. Continue to fight the good fight of faith. Use the warfare tools of prayer, of generosity, of confession, of, of repentance, of worship, of serving someone else, of asking big, awesome questions to your family, as seeing a gap open from a stranger in conversation and sharing with them the gospel news that what Jesus has done is enough for everybody. You don't need to do anything more about it except, except the work of Christ for you. Today, you also have to hear this. Some of you believe today that you've been, you've mismanaged too much. You've been too broken. You've screwed up too much. And I'm telling you today, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that is so far from the truth. That's also a fallacy, that there's not one story here that's too broken, too mismanaged, too weeded through the garden, too corrupt that God can't come in as you allow him and let him, because he's a gentleman, so you have to ask. And as you let him come into your story, he reshapes, remakes your broken mind, your broken world. And what you thought was, I'm telling you, not a possibility. With God, all things are possible. So I want to speak to every, every area of interference, everything that says you are going to go this far and no more. I'm telling you, it's a lie. And the power of Jesus is able to break it. He's, he's broken it today. We just sang a song. Could you imagine with all the faith stirred in just this little room in, in Meridian, Idaho, what can God do? If you've tried to be an owner, and if you realize that, yeah, I've tried to own more things in my, in my own life, in my emotions, in my circumstances, in my mind, and I'm just done trying to carry it all on me. And you, I don't, you, you can be a believer, you might not be a believer. If so, for this to work, you, you have to be a believer. So I, this, this is my ask today. If, if that's you, and you just wanna just both physically and verbally, just ask God. <laughs> God, today, forgive me for being and trying to be the owner of my life, the operator of my life. 
I wanna be a steward. I wanna be a good steward. I wanna be, I wanna be one that at the end of my life, regardless of what's happened thus far, you can say, well done, well done, well done. What I placed in your care, you did well with it. Great is your reward. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.